Welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development, where Andrew and I talk to experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 platform. For more information on Office 365 development, visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. All right, welcome to episode 126 of the Office 365 Developer Podcast. Coatsy, you sound like you're in some sort of like paradise. I hear like parrots and tropical birds in the background. What's going on? <laughs> well, it's a, it's a, it's a big sulfur-crested cockatoo sitting in the tree outside the window here. In fact, there's a couple of them, and they're having a good chat. It's one of the funny things about Australia is that we've got some awesome, beautiful birds. They look fantastic, uh, amazing plumage, uh, incredible strength and, and capability. But songbirds, they're not. Like they're, they're the heavy metal songbirds of, of the world, I would have to say, the, the birds in Australia. There you go. There's one is there. It, is, it like a, is it like a killer bird? Like isn't everything from Australia – like if it <laughs> – if it's not human, it basically will kill you, like killer spiders, killer snakes, killer birds. No? These things have got pretty powerful beaks, I have to say. I've never seen them take a, a human apart, but you never know. Give them a chance. I heard even like koalas. Like I, when I went to – I did the whole Great Ocean Road when I went to Australia, and I actually saw koala in their natural habitat. Not in a zoo right. or some sort of animal sanctuary, but like just naturally out in the open. And I got pretty close, and I showed it to someone that was like a local, and they're like, Man, they will like tear you apart. Um, like, yeah, it's a great story. Most, most of the time, they're asleep, so don't worry about it. They, I think they sleep twenty-one hours a day, and uh, it, that, that's all. Uh, and the other, and the other three hours are all about eating gum leaves. So you're probably going to be okay. I tell you, man, if if the if this podcast were really big, I'd probably have like the Australian uh, tourist tourism board like calling me up for talking about everything being killer there but anyway well, that's an attraction people like that it's it's, it's an adventure coming here right there don't uh, don't put the garbage out because you might get bitten by a redback spider that's why i send the kids there you go well anyway <laughs> um we we digress a little bit but we'll try to bring it back to where we need to so from a weekly update standpoint uh, a few things going out in the in the uh, microsoft world one is there's been some changes to the planner task api are you a big user of planner coatsy I'm not yet, man, but it's one of those things that I think I should be. I'm an engineer by training, and so this idea of project management and planning is something that's near and dear to my heart, but it's not something I've got, a lot of, got, got, got around a lot. You know, it's funny. I think that Microsoft Teams might drive my use of Planner more than anything because it's so easy when it's there in that client. Uh, for those that haven't seen, you can add a Planner tab, and it automatically provisions everything for you, and um, I, I actually think it's a great experience inside of Teams, so... Uh, anyway, like from an API side, we've had planner task APIs out for a while. Um, we've made some updates to those. So if you're a developer and you're wanting to build on top of this, uh, things have just slightly changed. So things are now under where, you know, for instance, in the past you might reference slash plans. Now it's slash planner slash plans. Uh, so there's right. a few different changes to the, the API endpoints. Um, and then just some kind of general guidance on, on some of those updates. So uh, definitely give that a, a gander if, if that's your uh, flavor of development for Office 365. Yeah, it, it tends to make a bunch of sense, I think. Um, the P, P&P guys have got a new um, SharePoint Patterns and Practices release out, the April two, 2017 release. Um, again, there's just a, a plethora of great, uh, of great content in here, including you know, links to their community calls, some stuff around uh, uh, PowerShell and provisioning engines, uh, special interest group. 
the the, um, the SharePoint framework and JavaScript special interest group. Uh, you know, heaps of heaps of good stuff. Uh, links to the webcasts, GitHub repository. Just uh, just keeping up to date with what those guys are doing is uh, is a, is a full time task in itself. Did they have a web uh, a one of their webcasts this week? They did provisioning uh, with PNP PowerShell and Azure Web Jobs, uh, and that was uh, Michael Svensson from Puzzle Part jumped on. We've had Michael on the show before. Cool. Well, definitely check that one out. Um, you know, the provi- provisioning thing is always so popular. Um, the last thing, kind of in the Office 365 world, uh, from like dev.office.com, is throttling is coming to the Outlook APIs and Out- Outlook-related APIs in the Microsoft Graph. You know, this is one of the things that like I always get questions from developers, like, do you guys throttle? Um, and what are the throttle limits? And to be quite honest, like, yeah, at some point, if we like see you bombarding the service, we're gonna throttle you. But we we don't do a, a very good job of publishing what those are. Um, we probably should do a lot better job. And and you know, it's fitting for this week. We have Andrew Solomitov on the show that we'll talk to here in just a moment. But um, Outlook's always so like kind of on the the cusp of like doing things first. And so they were they've implemented some throttling limits that they've listed here. And so they, this it's just a really short article you can go read. So I'm just, if I'm reading this correctly, in something like the Microsoft Graph, I can make 60 requests to a single user's mailbox in a minute. So um, if you are completely oblivious to things like webhooks and Delta queries, theoretically you can go build yourself an app that every second queries a user's inbox. Please don't go and do that. But, don't do that. Um, but that's basically what it's saying here, and, and uh, it even will give you the correct type of error messages if you hit a throttle limit. So it'll give you like a, a 429, uh, and then gives you you can respond um, a retry look, this, if you need to. You might hit this if you're if you're trying to pull down um, all of the content from a, from a mailbox and you're paging, you're hitting, you're doing paging to do that, and you've got a really fast connection. So just be aware that that might happen. Yeah, so it's quite possible. I mean, if you if you tried to pull down all the content from my mailbox, it would take you more than sixty calls to do that. Yeah, yeah, at the moment. Yep. Um, the, speaking of Outlook, um, I'm just gonna just gonna do a little bit of a boast of one of my local partners, uh, the guys at at One Place Solutions here in here in Sydney, have uh, have released uh, a um, uh, an add-in. For a little while, they've had an add-in for their for their One Place Solutions, a modern add-in for their One Place Solutions called One Place Mail. Um, but they've finally got into the store. In fact, the first people since uh, since the launch of this to do this actually a uh, an add-in in the Outlook for iOS, so you can now put it on your iPhone. Which is we're going to talk about. We do talk to Andrew about this a little bit in the um, yeah, in the in the interview. But um, it's it's quite a, it's quite a big thing to to get your your. Uh, adding into the store, and just uh, a bit of kudos to those guys. It's quite a nice little added, actually, uh, and they've uh, they've had some nice feedback from both the the product team. And I was talking to them yesterday, and it's actually over the weekend. Uh, they only released it on Thursday last week. Over the weekend, thirty nine percent of all calls to their APIs were from uh, the iPhone version of the uh, of the app. Wow, very cool. It is very cool indeed. In fact, I'd love to have those guys on the show at some stage because they're doing some really neat stuff around. Um, Around uh, 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 application insights to kit, to do proactive tracking of, of what people are using and, and how, how they should update and how they do maintenance, and now they're doing sort of proactive support. So people will get a support call that their their, their support team will get a, a call saying I've got this problem, uh, and the devs will say Yeah, we're already working on it because we know they've got that problem, and uh, we'll have a release rolled out this weekend or whatever it is. So you know, it, it's a it's a very very neat uh, very very neat scenario. Cool. Well, the Rencore guys, I, I tell you, I, I love me some Rencore guys, and I mean that in the most platonic <laughs> way possible. But um, 
I, I tell you what, the, the, the SharePoint world from a developer standpoint would be in like a really, really big, um, they'd have a big problem if like Rainier were to like explode and the volcano goes crazy and Redmond goes <laughs> away. And if something happened at the Rencor um, headquarters location, because uh, there's such a, a huge concentration of our, you know, just knowledge champions around SharePoint development. Uh, they've done a, a pretty neat little post here on uh, how to build JavaScript customizations in the SharePoint framework. They basically have reference functions and script files. This is Waldeck that's written it, and Waldeck's one of the Rancor guys. So um, not really, you know, they're always putting out great content. They have a great podcast, uh, and so you, you got to check it out. Awesome, awesome stuff. And the last one on our, on our list this week uh, is, uh, is from Stefan Bauer. It wouldn't be a week, I don't think, without a, a Stephen Power post, uh, where he's talking about this uh, this idea of um, uh, of an alternative to using InterHTML and SharePoint framework web parts. So, it, what, what happens when you add a new uh, a new project without a framework? The default web part content has in, an InterHTML component. That's where that's all the bits are added. But um, he's got some some interesting ideas about how you can uh, uh, add different add your content in different ways. Yeah, if you've looked at the SharePoint framework. Uh, it, it's, I haven't really gone this deep into how you might achieve this, but you don't have a markup file per se. Um, I mean, I, there's certainly ways that you could use markup and like be able to strip it out and, and maybe re-render it or you know do some creative things with Angular. Um, that's a little bit challenging to do, but uh, you know this is another option of how you might go about doing it. The kind of the core most provided way is, you know, you're going to build up a block and, and you'd use that inner HTML element uh, or attribute to be able to set things in there. But, um, yeah, it's always good to see good alternatives, and uh, I think it's a good one that Stefan put together. So um, on the show this week, we have Andrew Salamatoff. Uh, we've had Andrew on the show a few times in the past. Uh, we've had him as a, a dedicated guest and also on some expert panels. It's always fun talking with Andrew. What do you think of the, the interview? Mate, I, I, I love this stuff. There's some, there's some fascinating stuff the Outlook guys are doing, and it, it's, um, it's really nice to hear from him you know, the, the, the three pillars of, of, of Outlook extensibility he talks about and the people who run those teams. Look out for that. But also some of the neat stuff that he's doing around, around Outlook extensibility and, and his team are, are really concentrating on. So I guess we just roll the interview. Andrew Solomatov, welcome back. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be chatting with you guys. Yeah, it's been, you know, we've had you on the show a few times. I know that we've had one-on-one one -on -one shows with you. I know that, I think it was Ignite several years back, you did kind of a small panel where we had a few people. You talked about your experiences at things like um, TechCrunch, Disrupt, uh, Hackathon, and things like that. Um, for those that maybe haven't heard those shows, can you give us a little bit of kind of the elevator speech of your background, what you do at Microsoft, um, how long you've been there, and, and whatnot? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, so my name is Andrew Salamatev. I'm a PM lead on the Outlook extensibility team. And so my team and I, we work really hard to bring the add-ins framework and the add-ins platform to, uh, to everybody out there, to all the developers out there who are interested in extending and customizing Outlook. And I can't really, you, know, you can't really talk about the Outlook platform without thinking uh, about the, the grander Outlook developer uh, ecosystem. And so when, when you think about what my team does in context of that, 
really we play one uh, one part and we constitute one pillar of the overall platform. You have uh, my my awesome coworkers Pratish. Uh, he owns the actual messages and connectors uh, charter and aspect of the uh, of the framework. And his guys, uh, they go out and they build the ability for developers to actually push notifications directly into your inbox that are not just text-based notifications, but actually actionable and something that you can click on. Uh, and then, of course, we have Venkat, who drives the uh, REST APIs uh, for Outlook Mail and Contacts and Calendar. And again, the, the, the three aspects between add-ins, actual messages, and REST APIs, that kind of rounds out the overall Outlook ecosystem. It really empowers developers to build some very powerful integrations and also workflows uh, directly into Outlook. Um, so that's kind of where I sit within Microsoft. And then uh, I guess a little bit about my, uh, my background. <clears throat> I've been working at this for quite a while. I've worked on add-ins since, my, since uh, their inception back about five or six years now. It's a long time. And I've been working at Microsoft for nine years now. This past March, it was nine years. And so I worked everywhere from Exchange Web Services to uh, Throttling for Exchange Online back when it was just getting started. Uh, and then eventually switching over to this new, uh, new engagement um, for a right around add-ins. Uh, and driving that. So it's been a fun journey. Awesome. Well, I know that um, it's interesting you giving kind of the full lay of the land of the extensibility team with, you know, your team that's kind of focused on the add-in side, Pratish, which is on more of the, uh, I would say, conversation-driven side of, of Outlook extensibility, and then Vincat that's on the API side. I've always felt that, like, your team uh, has always been so uh, I, I would say trend setting within Office 365 extensibility. I, I mean, I could probably go across the board in terms of, you know, first to implement webhooks, first to implement add-in commands, first to do all of these, you know, various things within the platform. Um, what, like, what do you think, what, what leads to that? What makes you guys um, so kind of uh, on the cutting edge of, of delivering cool extensibility features? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, you know, and I, I want to begin by just saying that none of that would be possible without the help and support of the other teams that we work with. So I'm sure you must have had on your show Rolando uh, or Yina or some of the other guys over in the Office Developer Platform. And, you know, for all of these features, uh, it, it's true that maybe in Outlook for some, for some of them, uh, for some of these features, they do appear in Outlook before in uh, some other clients. Uh, but really, it wouldn't be possible. Like the whole adding commands feature, this is something we delivered because, only because uh, Rolando's team was able to help us out and and drive, and we were working together as um, you know, not to sound cliche, but one Microsoft to get this stuff done. Uh, but I think the thing that empowers us and helps us um, pave the way and, and go faster and go forward is actually the mentality um, of our customers, of our users. And also the mentality of the leaders that we have uh, in the business group. And I think we kind of achieve uh, a great um, symbiotic relationship here. Uh, in terms of our users, you know, Outlook is the primary surface that user, that especially productivity users use to get their job done. And when you think about doing any sort of work, 
<clears throat> any sort of uh, uh, work that requires productivity, that requires communication, that requires uh, just com getting tasks and completing tasks done, you kind of always start start the, all those workflows from Outlook. And so when we go talk to customers and when we go talk to our users, really hear the pain points that they have, and, and they're very they're constantly telling us the same thing, like, hey, I'm sitting in Outlook and I get this email that's asking me to do something, or, hey, I need to, I'm working on this project and I'm collaborating with uh, some of my group members and we're trying to get something done. Uh, or, hey, I'm actually on my mobile phone on Outlook Mobile, and I just got this email in, and I'm about to jump on a plane and take off, but I, like, this is something super important to my business, and man, if I could just quickly uh, add, uh, add this as a task for one of my team members to do or raise a support issue, uh, that would help our customers so much more and, uh, and make our, pro our business so much better. So I think from a user perspective, our users are constantly, constantly driving us to, to continue to exceed their expectations and, and also empower them to get their jobs done. You know, if this is the surface that you spend the most of your time in, this is the surface that you're going to be asking and looking for most of the, uh, some of the best and most important integrations. So that's, and then that's I think very, very cool. A, oh, sorry, I was going to say, this is, this is one of the things that, that I think typifies the, the, the stuff that, that, uh, that the guys in office and particularly you guys in, in Outlook at some extent are doing is that everything you do is from the ground up. It's, it's got this extensibility idea at the back because we know that while we can create a great platform, there are so many other things that people will want to do that we ne won't necessarily create first go and it gives an opportunity for people to build on top of it. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you. Um, yeah, I think that we do have to think in terms of uh, extensibility first. Uh, and a lot of it is because our organizations and our customers are so diverse and they have so many different scenarios that they need to meet that there's no way that we could possibly be experts in all of them and be able to give them the, the most perfect solution for every single customer. But we realize that this is exactly where our ISVs and our developers are awesome at. Like they, they know our, uh, these specific niche needs or, or even more broad needs that we are simply not meeting. And we know that we can deliver a better product together, a better uh, with Office solution uh, to our customers if we just partner up with these developers. So that's why uh, developer ecosystem is so important to us, uh, to our users, to us, and, and all the way up through our leadership. You know, I think Rajesh, who's the VP of Office, um, uh, Office product, uh, he is one of those people who truly uh, gets and understands the power of extensibility and, and how much help and how much goodness it can bring to, to our users. So you said something earlier that I thought um, is, really resonates with me is um, people spend so much time in Outlook. In fact, there's some the statistics are a little bit old, but uh, there's, uh, I think the statistic is about 1.2 billion users around the world use Outlook. Uh, and I'm sorry, use Office. And of that, the average information worker is spending like three to four hours a day inside of Office. And probably Outlook is that that main client that they're using. Like, how do you feel? What like what is your perspective on all these other? I'm not going to call them niche like conversation-driven things, but you see, you know, things like Microsoft Teams emerging as maybe an alternative for some communication or bots as like an alternative for some sort of communication. How do you feel like all this kind of fits together in your world? I think that's a, uh, it's a great question. And to be honest, some of the, in some ways we're still, uh, like you mentioned bots, I think in some ways we're still trying to figure out 
I'm thinking about what are going to be some of the best experiences and uh, most interesting scenarios for our users, and how can they, how, you know, how, how will, how do bots play in in those aspects? Um, but you know, in, in other cases, uh, such as Teams, uh, Teams is an interesting one. Uh, the whole concept behind Teams, and I really love the way that their uh, general manager, uh, Brigu, uh, puts it. The, the concept, the idea behind Teams is to empower uh, user collaboration. So if you're collaborating around a certain document, or if you need to collaborate around a certain uh, uh, opportunity, maybe it's a sales opportunity, or a certain project, and you need to collaborate with a few uh, team members, some uh, people in, uh, on your that, that you work with closely. Teams is going to be great for that. Teams is an awesome client where you can sit down uh, and as you're working with uh, three, four, five, ten members, however, however members you need uh, on a particular project, on a particular document, Teams is an awesome client to actually uh, get that productivity spinning and going uh, and actually make a lot of progress on. Um, Outlook is a client where, yes, you can absolutely uh, have discussions with your team uh, and you can have discussions with your, your members, but Outlook really nails that experience where you even need to have uh, a few one-off conversations uh, or you're asking someone a question and you're not really sure where it's going to lead to, right? Like you may be wondering, hey, uh, what is our strategy on a particular uh, customer? What is going to be our strategy with uh, landing the sale? Now, you're not going to spin up an entire team's channel and invite random people there, or maybe you hope they're the right people, maybe, maybe they're not, uh, to, na to answer this particular question. It's, it's a little more heavy-handed. You don't really need an, a calendar. You don't really need a files location. You just need to ask a question. And so this is this kind of asynchronous communication. This is what Outlook is perfect for and email is perfect for. Uh, and then, of course, communicating with people external to your company. You know, if you need to have a discussion with your uh, with a salesperson, or if I want to have a conversation with some of our partners, uh, kind of inviting them to a team again or creating a team around them may not be uh, isn't does not feel like the quite the right experience. So I think the two clients will will play uh, in the future will play a very symbiotic role. In, in one case, one client is going to be perfect for these collaborations around certain uh, very specific projects or um, or documents, and, and they'll be temporal. And you spin up a team, and you decommission a team, and you uh, and you go on uh, with your uh, you know with the length of your of your work. Um, whereas Outlook is going to be that client that you use for asynchronous uh, uh, communications, for information discovery, for communicating with uh, various other organizations within your company when you're trying to learn something, deliver something, uh, get something, get some point across, uh, or communicating outside of it. So I hope that answers the first part of your question. Cool. So that that that, that idea that uh, that we've got, um, you know, th these multiple. Uh, multiple opportunities for communicating is awesome, and I, and I really like this the way, where you kind of placed that. Yeah, I, I get it entirely. That you know, Outlook is really good for this initial ad hoc communication and, and the communication uh, to people outside the organisation, and then you can focus down on stuff in, using something like Teams or, or one of the other one of the other opportunities. Where are we at in general with uh, with mail add-ins? What are we doing in terms of how you know? Uh, the, the 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 move from from the the, the com based add-ins to the to the to the new add-in model um, uh, the the looking for parity with the, uh, with, the with the functionality uh, how are we going in terms of moving that along yeah I think that's a great question so uh, I think first of all um, 
There are a lot of uh, priorities that we have within the team, and it's it's always awesome to hear from developers. And it always breaks my heart to tell them uh, when something's not quite available or not quite ready, because I want to be uh, enabling every scenario uh, right away, uh, immediately, right now. Um, so it's a very heartbreaking uh, sometimes experience when you you talk to an excited partner and you have to tell them, sorry, not 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 right now. No, like it's not possible today. Uh, so with that, we have a few different priorities, right? So first of all, we're very excited that we finally launched uh, add-in commands across all of the different Outlook surfaces um, that uh, productivity users use. Uh, so we have command support across web, Outlook, both 2016 and 2013. Uh, we brought it to iOS, Outlook Mobile, in, in this past February, which is huge. Like if you think about native mail clients that also support third-party extensibility models, I mean, this is as good as it gets. Like, you can any developer out there now can go and, and build add-ins and have a uh, a very um, native feeling experience right within Outlook Mobile to uh, hook in their their scenario. Uh, and then more more recently, uh, roughly maybe three weeks ago, we we brought add-in commands to Mac Outlook. Uh, and that kind of rounds out our uh, productivity Outlook clients. And so now developers truly, like, truly can build one add-in that runs across all of these different clients uh, and does some really powerful things. However, we don't we don't want to pretend we don't even want to pretend that we're done. There's lots and lots of more work to do. And some of the top priorities, of course, are uh, bringing uh, add-ins to Outlook Mobile on Android. Uh, and then figuring out, you know, we're going to be working on Compose next or appointments or kind of what are going to be the next uh, functionality and, and the next features that we want to bring to mobile. Uh, and then, of course, we have a number of other uh, requirements and requests that we've had from uh, from partners um, in, the, in the other clients, in, in the desktop and in the web clients. And we're working through those as well. You know, we're thinking about... Uh, uh, concepts like uh, message tracking scenarios and inserting a pixel uh, automatically uh, whenever a user sends an email, um, uh, whenever a user sends out an email so that they can uh, have analytics as to how are their marketing campaigns are doing. Uh, or improving ways in which uh, messages can be tracked into CRM, specifically in composed scenarios. Uh, and, and then as you touched on, uh, yes, there, there's the, uh, there are many add-ins that are today built using Calm APIs and are Calm technology, and we have to figure out what to do there. I mean, clearly there's a lot of power that Calm brings and a lot of goodness that organizations uh, like. Uh, but at the same time, we know that this platform, the, the Calm add-in platform, is not, is not the platform that either our users want nor one that our developers really want to go with. You know, when we, when we hear feedback from developers, there are a few things that are constantly coming up and that, and that resonate with me very much, and it's... Um, First of all, developers ask us for a uh, for a platform that is built using modern technology, such that it's cheap for them to use any of their developers, any anybody who works in their company, to go and build an integration. And when we look across all of the various technologies out there today, you know there there are some uh, pretty ubiquitous ones. Like there are many uh, there are many iOS developers or Android developers, but even there, you have to have a lot of uh, kind of tribal knowledge to know what works well and what doesn't. Uh, but the one technology that kind of sticks out is web tech, right? Like uh, HTML and JavaScript. I mean, there are so many different frameworks, but the, the beauty of it is once you've kind of learned the, the basics of web technologies, picking up a new framework like Angular or uh, React or anything else, it uh, literally means you just go on YouTube and watch uh, one of Rich's videos, which, which is pretty fantastic. 
<laughs> also, highly recommend for folks to do that if you haven't done so yet. Uh, so, so that's one of the things that, that resonates to us uh, or to developers. The other thing, of course, is uh, write once, run everywhere model in the sense that you can build an add-in once and run it across all of the different uh, client surfaces. You know, Comp today does not does not really support that. Uh, and the third piece that really uh, is important to, to both to customers and to developers is the life cycle or management of, of an add-in. Right. You know, with Calm, you have to go and deploy it uh, via a group policy or somehow push it out to users' computers. So an administrator has to do that. And if a developer wants to update their code, well, good luck. You have to go renegotiate with that administrator to re-push out yet another update of the add-in, right? Our web model solves that, right? It solves the technology aspect of it. It solves the uh, right once run everywhere uh, aspect in the sense that it, it does work uh, across all the different Outlook clients. And we've also addressed the management aspect. So right. now, as we uh, so now as we uh, as we see the the platform being so um, important and so interesting to uh, to our customers. Really, the next uh, bit is figuring out what are those going to be. What are going to be the next sets of APIs uh, to help unblock these uh, com added migrations? And we've done, we've made a lot of headway uh, with that. Right, like adding commands was one of those things that we had to deliver to uh, to bring some really fantastic experiences. And that unblocked the, uh, a, a big chunk of partners, like a big chunk of our developers, are now saying, "Hey, you know what? This this platform actually makes a lot of sense for me. And now I can go and and build some great scenarios and actually have a lot of users excited about it." Uh, DocuSign and Salesforce, I think, are some great examples. Salesforce is pushing for the, their new web add-in to all their customers um, way, uh, way above their uh, Com add-in. In fact, they're, they're encouraging all their customers to migrate away from Com and onto this new web add-in. Uh, but there are still some, uh, many more APIs that we have to, to deliver, uh, both event APIs in terms of uh, something like uh, recipient changed in, in Compose, um, we've definitely heard uh, partners asking for a send hook API, and that's something that uh, we're working on. Um, and then uh, exposing more uh, properties. And so those things are, you know, we, we have a long backlog that we're kind of working on uh, and trying to knock off one by one. But, but our approach is um, probably fairly obvious, which is just look at the next set of uh, super important um, uh, functionality that uh, that unblocks uh, the next set of uh, uh, scenarios that our customers are asking for, and get that done in all of the different clients. How do our customers ask for it? That's a, that's a really good question. What what are you guys looking at to to get that sort of feedback? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, so we we look at uh, a lot of different feedback. You know, we look at what are um, uh, what kinds of APIs in commons are being used uh, most frequently. And by some of our top uh, top add-ins, so that kind of gives us a sense for uh, the importance of uh, from existing solutions. Uh, but then, obviously, you know, we do a lot of uh, user and customer research. We do a lot of uh, and we segment our customers, so we do a lot of uh, enterprise research where we learn what solutions uh, uh, enterprises have. Uh, we do a lot of research into SMBs, and we learn what kinds of solutions and what is the uh, kind of what is the life cycle of a small business from from almost inception to hey uh, now they're a fully functioning business what kinds of solutions do they need and what do those solutions need uh, and then we listen to our uh, developers and we learn a lot for, from the community and from our developers 
and our developers engage with us in many different ways. I mean, we have user voice, that, that's probably one of the easiest way to do it, or uh, Stack Overflow. Um, but then we also have uh, some, some programs as well. So for example, developers can join uh, our Office 365 developer program and uh, uh, post questions in Yammer group or reach out to us at uh, conferences and talk to us there. Um, or they can talk to uh, uh, Rich and they can uh, send questions to Rich and those definitely get to us as well. So there are many different ways to, uh, to reach us and, and to, to ask or, or to provide feedback. Don't give out my email, then I'm just going to get like bombarded <laughs> with things. But, Too late. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to jump into maybe some specific things around some of the like the more recent things that you guys have done on the platform. When we talk about like add-in commands, you know that was something that I saw numerous partners wanting, and you know the value proposition of you know when I open up Outlook. I see right at the top, I see a Starbucks logo, a Harman IE logo, a Boomerang logo. I mean, it puts your brand inside of something that I spend hours in every day. So, like, the value proposition is amazing. What I want to know is two things. One is, are you guys even accepting the older style manifest in, in the store? And what is the conversion rate for people that maybe built a mail add-in early to add add-in command uh, capabilities to it. Yeah, I think that's a great question. So, with uh, with adding commands, you know, we we took a very um, uh, experiment experiment driven approach uh, to adding commands. Uh, we launched the legacy model years ago, and which was the, this gray bar uh, add-ins appearing in this gray bar, and we really saw that the engagement was not great with that model. So instead, we, we, we said, okay, well, uh, we've come a long way. We've built out a pretty uh, pretty interesting, pretty cool experiment uh, experimentation platform in Outlook. Uh, let's actually use that and figure out what's going to be uh, what's going to be working well for users. And uh, you know, in Outlook, it was a little uh, less surprising, or it was a little clearer what's going to work well. But I think in OA, where there is no ribbon, that's where we actually had maybe three or four different models that we wanted to test and see what's going to work best and what sets of trade-offs are going to work best. And when we ran the experiment, we realized that the current model that we ended up uh, ultimately launching drove engagement something like 10x more than the legacy model that we had. Uh, and in fact, it was uh, so much better that it became very clear right away that this is... Uh, this, this isn't just a way that developers should think about building, but rather this is the way all developers should build and should integrate it into, uh, into Outlook. And so after we've delivered on that vision, uh, bringing adding commands to the web, to Outlook 2013 and Outlook 2016, uh, we actually put a very strong requirement in the store saying that all add-ins now that have these generic experiences that have uh, that have um, uh, just a, a, a generic button that should appear in every message uh, or appointment, they all must use commands. That the, the old model doesn't even make sense anymore. So when and, you say that, just to interrupt, when you, ultimately, if I don't have an activation rule, I need a command. Well, I'm saying even more. Uh, forget about activation rules. Use commands. And we'll come up with a better way uh, to handle some of these more contextual experiences. So, for example, for if you have a scenario and you want to activate on a regular expression match, we're actually going to be uh, underlining those reg regex matches in the body. We'll highlight uh, that, that match, and the user, when the user clicks on that, we'll uh, show you a hover card. And we have support for this in OA, and support for this in Outlook. Desktop is coming very soon. Um, 
But but yeah, forget about rules and just use adding commands. Cool. So that's cool. Is there is there a way that we can we can um, contextually enable or disable buttons then inside commands in, in the ribbon? Yeah, that's a great question. So not today. We don't support that today. And the vast majority of scenarios don't really require that. And what I would even ask back is, well, it depends on what scenario you are trying to light up. Uh, for example, in, in the past, uh, developers would often try to uh, light up a scenario where they send an, their system sends an email. For example, Nintex, I think, is a great example, where Nintex their workflow solution, and uh, for those of you who are not familiar. And what they do is uh, you can configure a workflow. Uh, it's kind of like if this, then that. So, for example, you can say if somebody adds a new list in, uh, in SharePoint, if somebody uploads a document in SharePoint, send an email to the manager uh, for approval, something like that. Uh, and so uh, you can imagine that in the past, a lot of developers for these kinds of workflows, when they send out an email, they would then also build an add-in that would only show up on emails from this uh, from the sender, from the system. Well, the, the experience is actually kind of poor because the user wouldn't notice that there is this add-in that appeared in the bar and they have to click on it and wait for the add-in to load when really all they needed to do is just either hit approve or decline. And so this is where actionable messages come in. And so now using actionable messages, the sender of the message can just in include just a little bit of markup, uh, JSON markup, and Outlook will interpret that markup and actually render a native uh, experience with an approve or decline button. So uh, we've, we've come up with different ways to handle uh, the scenarios um, that were more contextual in the past. Uh, in much better, much uh, uh, more engaging uh, experiences for users. Right. So rather than having to write an entire new add-in, you can just add this little bit of markup and, and the, the functionality bit is taken care of by Outlook. And then what happens with that action is, is sort of up to the, up to the developer. The, 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 exactly. the action might go off to some web service somewhere and, and do something, but, but the actual rendering piece is not something that you need to worry about anymore. It's been taken care of at the, at the, at the client level. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Yeah. So... We talked a little bit about add-in commands. One of the other things you mentioned, which to me was really, I think, realizing the vision that was painted way back in you know 2012, I guess, when we first started getting a glimpse of add-ins, which was seeing these run in mobile. Uh, so I, you know, I carry an iPhone and I use uh, Outlook for for iOS, and you know the the realization that now my add-ins that I use frequently in the desktop, also use work on a mobile device, is a pretty, uh, I think, significant achievement. What is the, what's the onboarding? If I'm a developer and I want to get an add-in published to work on add-in mobile, is there, it, it seems like the list right now, it's shorter. Like what is, what's, is there any sort of additional things that I need to do in order to achieve that? Yeah, great question. So I th we think mobile is an extremely powerful surface where developers can uh, bring a lot of delight. Uh, you know, if you think about mobile, um, it's a it's an entirely different beast. And I think that there are some really important considerations that developers have to uh, take into account. And and because of these considerations, we do have slightly different requirements for uh, around mobile. Uh, I think the number one consideration uh, is the fact that you know Outlook Desktop users can spend um, users can keep that open for months at a time. Like I don't know about you guys, I don't really close my 
I don't really shut down Outlook unless I don't know. I need to restart my my computer at some point, or it runs out of battery or something. Outlook Mobile is entirely different. The average session in Outlook Mobile lasts roughly 24 seconds, right? <laughs> so if you think about it, if the user spends an average 24 seconds just staring at Outlook Mobile, how much time are they going to spend in an add-in, right? How much time will they? How much attention will they devote to an add-in? So how many tasks would they want to complete in an add-in if they don't want to spend more than 20 seconds in Outlook Desktop itself or Outlook Mobile itself? And so as a result, there are a couple of things we're asking developers to do. One is really reconsider the scenarios. You know, just because you have a number of very powerful scenarios in Outlook Desktop does not mean that all of them make sense in mobile. Really think about that mobile case. And in many, in, in most uh, scenarios, users on a mobile phone, they just want to take one or two very simple actions or just read something quickly and keep going. So, so do that. Focus on either providing some contextual information uh, or one or two quick actions, like save this email somewhere and be done, and that's it. And the second consideration that we're asking developers to have is really around the UI. And this one, you know, we're going to do a uh, pre-recorded session for build, so uh, it, we'll spend some more time talking about it at build uh, in terms of the the background for it and why we we went a certain direction with UI. But just to summarize real quick, um, the idea is that add-ins in, in mobile should look 80% like the platform and 20% like their own branding. And we have uh, great guidelines online at dev.outlook.com that you can go and check out. But what that means is that add-ins need to feel, look and feel more like iOS on iOS and more like Android on Android uh, with a little bit of their own branding as well really paying uh, uh, attention uh, to the to the platform that they're running in. That is what ultimately makes add-ins uh, look and feel native to the user and feel seamless. And that's really what's going to delight our users. So this is a really interesting point, I think, Andrew. Um, uh, we've been talking for some time now about this consistency across uh, adding adding UI and adding the additional platforms like iOS and Android makes this a, a, a more difficult thing for for our developers. So, are we working with people like the the UI framework, the, the Office UI fa uh, Fabric team, to to make it easy to develop your add-in once and to have it show up looking the right, the right way in the various platforms? Yes, absolutely. Uh, we do have an ongoing effort right now that's investigating how do we build, uh, how do we evolve Fabric to um, uh, to basically render uh, the same control in one way in iOS and a different way in Android, so that in iOS it's more iOSy and in Android it's more Androidy. Uh, a different way again on the web, I guess. So a different way again on, in, on the desktop. Yes, exactly. Well, web and desktop would probably look uh, more or less similar. That's generally the trend that we've had. Um, so yeah, you're right. Uh, so we are working on Fabric uh, with the Fabric team on on evolving that framework. In the meantime, while we don't have uh, Fabric quite there yet, uh, our recommendation is that developers use Framework 7.io, which provides uh, a set of uh, controls that are styled so that they do appear like iOS and iOS and like Android and Android. And a number of our partners in mobile have used it, and they've had great success in it. I think one of them was Nimble. If you take a look at the Nimble app or Nimble add-in on, uh, on Outlook Mobile iOS, Uh, man, does it look awesome. 
Right, yeah, very cool. Uh, and in fact, I'm going to put a shout out here to one of my partners as well, the, the guys you've been working with pretty closely at, uh, at One Place. And they've just uh, launched yep. their, their first add in. They're, they're basically the first add in in the store after the launch, the launch partners. Uh, mm-hmm. for, for, uh, awesome, awesome job for them. Um, so that the, the bit of feedback they had for me was that Framework 7 is cool, but now it's, we've kind of moved away from the right once run anywhere scenario. We've got multiple views depending on platform. Uh, is that you know? Is, is that something? Is it just an interim measure, or are we are we looking to for that to be the long term goal? Yeah, you know, I, I look at it as a as an evolving thing and also um, a trade off. Uh, in terms of uh, evolution of the platform, I mean, yes, you're right. It's not you write the same exact, literally the same exact code once and it runs everywhere. You, you do have to have a separate view for mobile than for desktop. Um, but I think that's also true in most apps that are uh, that are really trying to nail the best possible experiences. You know, you look at any top apps that any one of us might use, like Facebook. Facebook on your computer is going to have a completely different view and completely different code than Facebook app running on your mobile phone. And that's okay because, it, it, you know, what's really important is optimizing for that user experience and nailing uh, that user experience and making sure that it's, that it's absolutely great. Ultimately, if you just write some code that runs exactly in the same way, yeah, you could do that. But the likelihood that users are going to actually use, use that um, integration is, you know, it, it really goes down. It's, uh, it's a lot less likely. Or the likelihood that users are... Uh, excited and delighted by those kinds of experiences, again, it kind of goes down. So, uh, but, but what I think is still true is the fact that all of our APIs work and behave in the same way. Right. And so, uh, yes, you have to change the uh, the V part in the MVC uh, approach. So you have to change your view. You, you have to write a different view. Uh, however, your you know your control, your business logic, your, all of your backend APIs, all of that stays the same. All of that is still uh, uh, interchangeable and and usable across those. So it's a you know it's not it, it's a it's not you don't have to rewrite the add-in, and it's a minimal uh, impact to the developer um, to add this extra mobile view, but it creates a huge difference in terms of the experience to the user. Cool. Very cool. Well. Uh, Andrew, it's it's uh, always a pleasure to have you on the show. I was actually thinking, like as we were preparing to record this today, um, I've, I've almost worked with your wife more this year. For those that don't know, uh, Andrew and his wife, they're kind of like the power couple at Microsoft. You know, Andrew owns eight <laughs> add-ins, and, and his wife, Cornelia, she is on the cognitive services, uh, artificial intelligence side of Microsoft, which is just like, you know, crazy um, accelerated speed in terms of the things they're doing. But I, I feel like I'm on tons of threads with her these days, and I miss my, my chats with you, buddy. So uh, yeah, hopefully... Yeah, me too. Well, you know, if you think we're good, uh, we're, you know, we're expecting our first daughter uh, this June. So um, she, that, that girl has a lot of expectations for her. So I'm hoping uh, <laughs> to have her in your podcast uh, sometime soon as well. Wow, I had no clue. Congratulations. Thank you. Very cool. Thank you. Well, and your daughter is also going to be. Uh, well, she's going to be one, right? Yeah, she turns one here in uh, about three weeks. So, awesome. like, right around build. Speaking of build, like, what is your what are your thoughts of build being in in Seattle? You know, you've you've been at all the builds over the last few years in in uh, San Francisco. What is your thoughts of having it at home? 
Uh, you know, I'm excited. I remember going to Build in San Francisco, and if I was not in one of the hotels that was right next to Build, uh, oh boy, it might take you a half hour to even find a taxi or an Uber, let alone actually get get somewhere, and then the traffic would just be insane. Uh, but uh, you know, I love Seattle. Seattle in the springtime is absolutely beautiful. Um, the Bay Area it kind of turns brown, especially if the you know, especially when it hasn't rained in the past few years. It really didn't rain much there, and the Bay Area just kind of turns brown, and it's, it's super expensive. But Seattle, man, I'm just sitting in my office right now, looking out the window, and I'm looking at the Cascade Mountains, and it is beautiful here, and everything is green and gorgeous. So I'm really excited to have build here. Very cool. Well, we'll definitely see you. Uh, Coatsy and I are going to be doing a number of shows at Build, maybe even a live show that we'll have to uh, get you on, maybe. So um, anyway, yeah. super, super thanks for your time today, and uh, look forward to catching up soon. Awesome. Sounds great. Well, that's all for this week. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all our podcasts, the developer program, and other amazing content. Also, make sure you follow us at OfficeDev on both Twitter and Facebook. Until next week, get your code on.